say the B.C. government announced new supports uh, to help hire and train more nurses and midwives licensed across the province in order to take pressure off the strained health care system. Uh, Premier David Eby said the new measures will support Canadian-trained nurses who want to get back into the workforce as well as internationally trained nurses looking to practice in B.C. Take a listen. So we had grants for internationally educated nurses, but those nurses had to pay those grants up front and then be reimbursed later. So now our government will be covering over $3,700 up front in application assessment fees for internationally trained nurses. So that that application fee does not stand in the way of them practicing in British Columbia. Joining me now to talk a little bit about attracting healthcare workers to our province is uh, Global BC legislative reporter Richard Zussman. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. So walk me through this. Uh, it's in, in regards to dollars, it's not a huge announcement. Uh, I'm going to assume we're going to hear more from the Premier and the government on this issue because this is one of those core issues that he keeps talking about in regards to health care and the strain that the system is under right now. Yeah, but it's, you know, $3,700 is not a lot of money, but you multiply that by the thousands of people the province hopes this will attract And then it starts adding up. And the province believes that these fees, these administrative fees, assessment fees, were uh, getting in the way of foreign accredited nurses from actually practicing in the system. The number that stood out to me was that the premier said there are 2,000 people currently in the queue that could be working in the healthcare system in this province between four to nine months from now. And yes, the crisis is right now, but as you and I have talked about a lot, Jaz, and as you know, government moves slowly. Four to nine months is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And to get those nurses in the system uh, would help alleviate some of the pressure. To give people a sense of how behind we are right now, there are about 5,500 shortages in the healthcare system. And that's just to get up to full staffing levels, not just to deal with the fact that we have uh, record-breaking numbers of absenteeism due to illness in the system. We already have a system under pressure. This time of year is always the toughest on the healthcare system. So all of that aside, the hope is that this change today can get 2,000 nurses into the system sooner than possible. And the last number on top of that is 5,000, which is the number of people aside from the 2,000 who have expressed interest in working in our healthcare system who are foreign trained nurses. Why has it taken so long, do you think? I mean, I, I, <laughs> we're all well and good for the Premier to say this, and I get that. Uh, but we were having these conversations uh, in the 1990s when we had an NDP government. We've had 16 years of B.C. Liberals. And uh, what I have difficulty in, in sort of just understanding is why has it taken us to today to make this announcement and to acknowledge some of the challenges. Why do you think we have not been able to deal with this issue many, many years ago? Yeah, and I think I've tried to wrap my head around this, and that's one of the questions I contemplated asking today, because whenever you see these announcements that seemingly solve a problem, in essence, immediately, you wonder, what took so long? Like, we know that this is a jurisdiction, British Columbia, that attracts people from all around the world. We also know that we have uh, a limited amount of training spots here for British Columbians. So they will often go to uh, universities, uh, programs outside of this country and get trained. 
And then to come back here, there are these added steps you must go through. These aren't new problems. The, the challenge here, though, is this combination of a need and a desire to solve the problem quickly. There would have been over time resistance from governments, from medical colleges, from unions around allowing for a fast tracking of foreign accreditation in fear that it would be over those who are trained and live here. We're now at a point where we have such a shortfall Mm -hmm. and such a need for this that colleges, unions, and governments are willing to, in essence, bend over backwards to remove some of the uh, impediments and bureaucracy that has been put in the way. That's, that's the only way, Jez, I can wrap my head around it. Because, like you said, I have been wondering this all day as well. Because yeah. it's, it's not suddenly one of those things where the rules have changed or an opportunity has come up. These are longstanding issues, as you mentioned. And, that's, and I think you've articulated it very well and like a good Canadian very politely as well but it is struck there have been structural challenges before people like it uh, I and when you know I've sat down with former cabinet ministers even in a pre couple of premiers and privately had these conversations and, and you know from what I my general sense of things when you talk to them is you know unions uh, it's better to have a s- small shortfall of people because it's much better when in, when you're negotiating for a wage increase I'm not blaming unions here. I'm just using this as an example you have accreditation agencies, whether it be for doctors or whatever other profession it may be. Sometimes it's spaces in universities as well. But that collective response uh, in regards to an immigrant coming to this country that is foreign trained, we have put up so many barriers in front of them. Whether they get accreditation, how long that accreditation may last, whether unions are supportive of it, whether schooling it means four or five more years of university in Canada when you have a family to feed and rent to pay, you can't afford to go to school for five years. So all the right. collective sort of uh, impediments, barriers that we put forward, it's all sort of come home to roost now where we, we it's actually uh, it forces the system to say, okay, maybe we better move some of these barriers out of the way now and quick. Yeah, and at the same time, we had this record number of nurses and, and other healthcare workers retiring early because of the pressure they felt through the pandemic. And so it led to, like you mentioned, it is a fragile ecosystem at times. <laughs> you know, what holds up our healthcare system, our education system? It is built on these assumptions that we make over time. And you have a disruptor like a global pandemic, and all of a sudden that house of cards starts to tumble. And it forces governments to uh, get creative in policies that they may not have considered previously for various reasons, like you and I have spoken to. Cost is one of them, Uh, you know, uh, pissing off your political uh, allies is another one that, that comes into play often in these cases. So, you know, this policy is a good one. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it's not me saying that. It's the nurses union saying that. It's the college saying that. Uh, there are a lot of people coming forward and saying this is the sort of policy that we need. And, you know, Adrian Dix is always quick to point out when he took over in 2017, Canada or B.C. was last in Canada when it came to number of nurses per capita, hiring new nurses, and we are not last anymore. And there has been a more aggressive approach towards filling that void in a healthcare system that we have seen has many of them.
behind the scenes, uh, does the government feel comfortable that they'll be able to deal with the, de- the, with the demands when, uh, that are being put on our healthcare system right now? Whether it's COVID, whether it's shortage of doctors, whether it's shortage of nurses, all of these collective forces add in, uh, you know, ambulance workers or a lack of ambulance workers and emergency rooms not being open 24-7. How comfortable are you hearing behind the scenes that the government feels it can, it can deal with the, 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 the huge challenge that is before our healthcare system? Yeah, I think there's a confidence because there has to be a confidence that it is by necessity that the system must go on. And we're not at the point yet, Chaz, where we are seeing a consideration around mass cancellation of surgeries. But the reality is, with the system as short-staffed as it is when it comes to nurses and other healthcare workers, with a high level of absenteeism, there will no doubt be situations where surgeries will have to be postponed. In terms of delivering emergency frontline medicine, uh, there's a confidence that that can continue, but it will require a type of flexibility that we rarely see. People will be receiving care in different parts of hospitals where they may not be familiar, that people going in for uh, some routine surgeries may be moved out of hospital after the surgery is done sooner than, you know, in a situation where there was more room. All of that will be testing the system and, and forcing patients to look at healthcare a little bit differently uh, than they would have before because the services they are getting may look and feel a little bit different than if we weren't in a state of crisis. We have hospitals in this province right now that are over 100% capacity, and today's announcement won't address that, but shows a commitment towards trying to ensure that these sort of situations um, aren't as problematic for the system. But we are going to have people today who are in situations where they're walking into a hospital where there are no beds for them, and the hospitals will ensure that people find that space to get the care they need. The, the most important reminder here from the health minister continues to be, if you need to receive health care in this province, go and get it from your hospital, from your emergency room, your urgent primary care center, your family doctor, the system is still functioning. Um, that comes down to their confidence, Jazz. But adding anything extra, any frills on that, it's just not possible with the pressures we're feeling. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. We're talking a little bit about today's announcement from Premier Eby uh, in regards to attracting more nurses to British Columbia. Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, government still, but a different type of government. Now, Kevin McCarthy's struggle to be elected House Speaker was a riveting civics lesson that Americans and Canadians watched on TV thanks to C-SPAN's rare opportunity to have roving cameras uh, in the chamber. Now, the Public Service Network, which broadcasts congressional proceedings, is typically restricted in what shots... It can film on government-controlled cameras by the majority party in the chamber. Those very cameras are the ones that provide footage to CNN, uh, to CTV, to Global, to all the other uh, international and national broadcasters as well. But without a speaker in place, as the votes dragged on, the swearing-in of members and the adoption of a rules package were delayed, leaving C-SPAN with full freedom to focus its shots at the direction of its camera operators. Now, the footage caught lawmakers in conversation with their colleagues across the aisle, highlighting... And many would say more the inner workings of the intense debates uh, than the cameras are usually allowed to capture. Now, CNN and many other broadcasters, of course, use that very feed. Take a listen. Kevin McCarthy walks off the floor. He does not look happy. Somebody can change. Seven, Kevin McCarthy games. walks off the floor. No, he's, he's talking. Or he's, I'm sorry, he walks up the floor, rather. Matt Gates. he needed him to vote. 
yes, not present. He's trying to convince him. He appears to be trying to convince Matt, Matt Gates to vote yes and not present. That doesn't what look like a, a guy saying yes to Kevin McCarthy. What a sight to see. Both. This is quite a sight to behold. And votes Kevin McCarthy George. needs one vote to become Speaker of the House. No, he does not look Matt happy. Gates does not look like he is willing to acquiesce and change his vote from present. And look, yes. some guy in the back who was Literally went out to yell at Gates in a pink tie, and another member pulled, pulled him, him back. McHenry seems to be trying to talk Kevin down, Kevin McCarthy down a little bit here. It was uh, quite fascinating if you fi follow politics. In fact, uh, that C-SPAN feed uh, actually had higher ratings than some reality shows, if you can believe, uh, on Thursday and on Friday. Now, we have a similar system here. Legislative Services uh, provides the feed uh, to uh, networks, including um, Global and CTV and CBC. Uh, Richard, uh, your thoughts on all this? I mean, you're, you're a student of politics. I'm sure you follow this very closely, watch very closely. Uh, do you think it's something we should consider here in British Columbia? I know it's rare there as well, but do you think it's something that's time that we tried that very that system in legislatures here in Canada? Absolutely. And it comes down to one pivotal moment for me, Jazz, and it was one that you could witness, but many in the public couldn't, which was the day that Christy Clark lost her confidence vote. And it was an historic moment in BC's history, and there is no video or picture of Christy Clark reacting to that moment of losing the vote. Hansard's feed went to a wide shot of the chamber as the votes were read, as they do in those situations, and there is no historic record of the reaction of losing one's job on the floor of the legislature. And that moment alone, Jazz, to me, is enough of an argument to argue that journalists, camera operators, still photographers, should be able to capture those moments on the floor of the B.C. legislature and the floor of Parliament and the floor of other legislatures uh, at the Senate, at the House of Representatives in Washington, uh, D.C. I think it is essential for the public now at a time where everybody carries a camera around in their pocket mm -hmm. that we can see these moments. And institutions like legislatures, and if you want to go that far, courts, have an obligation to allow the public to see the inner workings because that is what allows for trust in our systems and uh, accessibility to our public system. And, and I've been advocating for it as the president of the press gallery mm -hmm. for years now to work with the speaker here, Rash Ohan, to work with Clerk Kate Ryan Lloyd to move towards a system where the public can have more access. Hanser does a great job. It is an amazing service. Uh, they put together uh, an ability for people to tune in to legislative debates and question period every day, but they aren't looking at it in a lens of journalists around some of the critical things. And I've been told one of the challenges here is that MLAs and ministers often have private information in binders in front of them, and there are worries that the cameras could pick up some of that information. And I think we need to work together to ensure that that private information not become public, but also give people an opportunity to see it. There have been times where the legislature here has granted special access to still photographers and video photographers, similar to what we saw in Washington, but it's rare 
And it's not always the times where it's most needed. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I think there are moments uh, where it would work. And I think you're absolutely right to, to ensure our faith in the system. It's the right direction to go. Uh, and I probably read a book on some of the things I saw. We'll save that for another <laughs> day, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure as always. Thanks, Jesse.